All right, good morning, everybody. We'll turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Joshua. And we're in our Joshua study, uh, Joshua chapter 2. And we're just going to read here Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Lord, we open up your word again this morning, thanking you for your goodness to us and thanking you, O Lord, that we have the freedom to open the Bible and to preach it, to study it, to share it with others. And Lord, I pray today as we learn more of you, more about you and the grace that you've given, Lord, that we'd appreciate that even more. And today, many in our world would come to saving faith in Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We open up this chapter, uh, and we're going to try to look at the whole chapter this morning. And it's an account of, really, uh, how God was working behind the scenes, somewhat. Uh, much of what is transpires here is really with a small group of people. We find that Joshua sends out, remember, we'll set this up again, uh, the account of the book of Joshua is the historic record of God leading his people into the land of Canaan, and the title of our message is Conquering Canaan. And uh, we're looking at last time challenges ahead. Well, today we're looking at conversions ahead. Because where there are challenges, often as God works, people take note. And as people take note of what God is doing, they are drawn to him, or in some cases they reject him. And that is the, the nature of people. And as God is at work in our world, and often those things as he's at work are somewhat behind the scenes. They're not things that we readily see, but I'm always amazed to know that God is at work in, in all these people throughout my world all at the same time. He's at work in my heart, and he can be at work in your heart in the same time, and in your life, and he can provide for you, he can provide for me, he can provide for billions of people, and he does. And he does not tire of that, and his grace is extended to this whole world. Not all will take advantage of that grace, which is what he wants to give us. And he wants to give us uh, his grace, but and, and also, really, he wants to give us salvation, forgiveness of sin. And we look at this, and we're introduced to a woman named Rahab. And Rahab appears here. Remember, Israel has come out of the wilderness. They've gathered on that east side of Jordan. The Jordan is overflowing its banks. And they're there and they're to set themselves there until God tells them the next step. And the next step, we'll look at that in chapter 3 and beyond when they're going to cross over Jordan. But we find that uh, Joshua sends out, in accordance with what God wanted to do, some spies or some scouts that go out into the land and they do some reconnoitering, right? And as they go out there on this mission... They end up in Jericho. They were told to go to Jericho. Jericho was the first of the major cities that was on the other side of Jordan. It was a Canaanite city. And it was a city that um, in its day was impenetrable by any conventional warfare that would have taken place then. Uh, the walls, the base of the walls of Jericho were about 40 feet thick is what archaeology tells us today. And it was this vast Canaanite city, a fortress really, and, of course, it would have been in a place, and it is in a place, where uh, there were crossroads and people going through that area would have to go through Jericho. 
And so Jericho was a big city, um, estimated in the maybe 40,000 people living in that. And it was a walled city, as I mentioned. And we're introduced to a woman named Rahab, okay? And as the spies go out to spy out the land, they end up in uh, this city. And they go there secretly. They're not saying, hey, we're with the Israelites that are gathered on the other side. But there were people that were watching and taking note of that. We know that because in chapter 3, it talks about Jericho being shut up. The gates were shut and everybody coming and going. They would have been going through probably just some little door in a gate. And they were checked. Everybody coming in and out. They were worried. And they were worried because we know in this chapter, the... What was going on is that the people of Jericho were talking because they remembered what God had done 40 years before that with the Egyptian army and the Israelites left Egypt. And as they left Egypt, the Red Sea swallowed up the Egyptian army and they had crossed over. The Israelites had crossed over on dry ground. And now there's just this little Jordan, even though it was overflowing its banks, it is nothing compared to the Red Sea. And there were people that were very concerned. And, you know, I could say this in just up front. There are many people today, and maybe there's even some that are here. I hope not, but you're, you're like the people of Jericho. You're worried. You're worried that, well, maybe this thing about God is real. And those stories I've heard, those are real. And that warnings I've heard are real. But I'm not really sure I want to jump in and, and take advantage of that yet and believe. And their fear was not mingled with belief for the most of them. There are a lot of people today that fear death. I think that's a natural fear, right? Um, all of us fear death. But there are those that are dreadfully afraid of death because they don't know the Lord and they know down deep that they're not ready to meet their maker in that. And the people of Jericho were very much like that. But we're not going to talk too much about that today as much as we are going to talk about the woman Rahab. We're introduced to her right away here in chapter 2, verse 1. And we're introduced to a woman... Uh, and her her condition and and by the way i want to say this that there had been not only the 40 years that had taken place which was about a generation really you can have about two generations in 40 years right and that generation that was there in jericho was very much aware and there were witnesses or at least you know firsthand witnesses that would have heard about the miracle of the red sea but you could go back even further than that And some 400 years before this event, God had told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that he was going to judge the inhabitants of that land. And he told him a time frame. He told him it would be in 400 years. And he told him that they would be judged. And they would not be judged in the time of Abraham because the cup or the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And the Amorites were the descendants of the land of Canaan, in the land of Canaan. And they were the ones that are referred to in the book of, Jer- or in the book of Joshua. The, the uh, different groups of people that were there were numbered among the Amorites. Back in Abraham's time, 400 years before that, God had warned the Amorites that judgment was coming. And he had given them 400 years to repent. And then he had given them an additional 40 years to repent. And then he gave them additionally another three days to repent because that would be the three days before they cross over. And then he would give them a full week of walking around Jericho, watching the Israeli army walk around the walls to repent. And all we know is this, that there were very few people that repented and believed 
and trusted and were saved out of Jericho. One of them is Rahab. And I want to talk about Rahab this morning because she's an interesting woman. We are introduced with a title given to her or a description really in verse 1 at the end. So they went, the spies went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now the word harlot, sort of an old-fashioned word that is uh, means a prostitute. And as they say, the oldest profession out there, right? Well, that's not true. Probably politicians were before that. But anyways, but but you have you have uh, harlotry or a woman selling herself for pleasure, and um, it was never in any form of world history or any uh, considered an occupation that was a good thing. All right, but it was something that went on. And does go on even to this day. And it was something that certainly would have tainted her reputation. She was not uh, someone who would be considered of the finest of company. And her title there, Rahab the harlot, would have had really a stigma attached to her name. And people knew that. It's interesting in this text we find out that her house was located on the wall of Jericho along that wall and we don't know exactly how that looked or where but we do know later uh, God would use the position and the placement of her house in a in a picture of redemption with the scarlet cord so it had to be hung out of her her house on that wall so she probably resided on the top of that wall in some kind of little structure that was built there uh, the wall of the city, by the way, was the most, def- it was, although uh, def- defensible, it was the first thing that would be where the enemy would attack. And so she lived in a very vulnerable spot. And she, her background also said that she was probably very vulnerable in society and had probably seen her share of sin and other things. But we find out they stay at the place where of uh, Rahab's. And it would have been... Uh, I would just say this for the Israelite spies who go in, it would have been a great place to go undercover because they were foreigners. No doubt the Canaanite city of Jericho had trading, you know, people coming in and out of the city still trading. And when foreigners arrived, uh, they would have scrutinized them and it would have made sense that they would go and stay at a lodging like this. And that's where they end up. And so we, we read of that. I want to look at Rahab and and talk about her a little bit because we see, number one, her condition. I already mentioned that. She was considered a harlot. And whether that was something of the past or a present occupation, I would lean more to the fact that it was in the past because we later have commentary about her. And it says when she received the spies in Hebrews chapter 11, it says when she received by faith, So she had already had an aspect of faith in her heart, which also directs repentance from something. We also find out when she goes to hide these men, she's hiding them up on the roof of her her place uh, among the flax. And so she had another occupation that she was doing. But nevertheless, some of us know that your reputation precedes you. It might be decades removed from something, and yet people still remember back to certain aspect of your life. And it reminds us of the condition of Rahab. Number one, she was a woman who had been defiled. Defiled by sin. Defiled by her occupation. Defiled by the city in which she lived. The Canaanites were not known for their godliness. They were pagans. Um, Archaeology has revealed that they involved in the building of, like, for instance, Canaanite buildings 
they would put in a cornerstone that was hollowed out or a little hollowed out spot where the cornerstone went and and often they would find dead babies in that a dead baby as a dedication to the building um, for good luck or something like that they don't know fully the um, why they did that other than the evidence is there that's in the archaeological record that they did that and they practiced um, uh, fertility rites uh, with their agricultural society that often involved great debauchery that took place and there's some of that evidenced again as they've pieced together some of the Canaanite rituals that went on Rahab was among those people and that's where she grew up that's where she was from that was her home at one time and she was really pictures for us as the book of Joshua remember it has it's a type of a greater to come Joshua is who is a savior or a picture of a savior uh, and he really points to a better Joshua Yehoshua uh, Jesus right in the New Testament and we find that Rahab also is a type and she pictures for us the lost sinner the lost sinner who finds herself not only by reputation of sin but also living among those who practice sin and at one time very comfortable with that we find that out she had been defiled with sin and by the way we are defiled with sin as sinners we're actually born that way we're born in sin and we're as good as dead We're actually separated from God spiritually and our sin eventually will separate us from the very presence of God and the Bible talks about that death that takes place as sinners in the sense that we cannot save ourselves. There's not one thing I can do. Rahab, by the way, could not save herself. She only could rely on the grace of God and the grace given to her by God's people. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others paul opens this up and he tells the ephesians um you were like this and then he lumps himself in there and says we all were like this we walked according to the course of this world we walked conducting ourselves in the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the mind and really that's the idea of what the nature of sin does in us and as sinners that's our course Some may be worse than others as we compare it, but before God we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need to be made alive. And that life only comes through Jesus Christ. And I'm glad for that. She was dead in her trespasses and sins. That was Rahab. She was living a life, but spiritually she was devoid of life until she believed on the Lord the Bible talks about that. John in 1 John 3 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. John is writing as a believer. He's writing to believers. And I love what he says, We know. Do you know 
that you can pass from death to life. And by the way, if you were dead and made alive physically, you would know it, right? I think of that in the NFL, right? And you have uh, DeMar Hamlin, right? A couple weeks ago, he dropped on the field with a cardiac arrest. And uh, yesterday, I think it was, he was back in the locker room visiting his, his companions. And he's a, he's a walking, as some said, a walking miracle. Now, you know, you know they, a lot of people went to prayer when he dropped on the field. And uh, I say, well, give glory to God for that uh, as people prayed. But he's got a neat story that I don't have, all right? He can go around and tell people, hey, I was dead once and now I'm alive, physically. But you know, going from spiritual death to spiritual life also is just, well, it's an even better miracle because it's eternal. It goes on forever and ever. And you don't need a defibrillator to have it happen. You just have to trust the one who has the power over life and death, the resurrected Christ. And he's the one. And I'm telling you, you just need to do that. Spiritual death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great verse. It's a verse that reminds us of the realities that death is attached to sin and life is attached to Jesus Christ our Lord. It was Harold Duff that years ago we were at camp with him one summer and and Harold Duff had... uh, a checkbook out and on his check at the bottom it said uh it said romans six twenty three. it says for the wages of sin is death and he left it right there <laughs> and i i looked at that and i went wow i said why'd you put that on there he goes that you wouldn't believe the amount of conversations i have when i give somebody a check and they see that and he says oh but that's not the end of the verse and then he would share with them about the life that is found in jesus christ eternal life I thought that was such a good idea. I ended up doing that on my checks for a while. Now we don't use checks almost, you know, just a few. But I say sometimes we have to remember that the payment for sin and being a sinner is death. If Rahab had remained in her sin, she would have died. All those in her household would have died physically and spiritually. They were already dead and eternally they would be separated from God. The Bible talks about that. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Just like Rahab, she was in a city that was condemned. God had said 400 years before that, I'm going to judge you. And then 40 years before that, he gave him space to repent. And then again, time and time again, he gave him space to repent. But now judgment was about to fall. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God... I've said this before, and I say it every, probably almost every Sunday. There's no other way out of this sinful death except through the only begotten Son of God. Someday in the future, the book of Revelation, we read this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death 
and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, that's a powerful image and a true image, and yet a future image too. You see, there's a final judgment that will come called the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says very clearly, we just read it, that the earth will give up its dead. How many people have, have died in the sea, you wonder, huh? What? Just read an illustration this morning from way back in the time of World War II of a missionary who was down in Paraguay, South America. And he put his, it was getting dangerous there at the time, and he put his family on a ship to go back to Europe. Uh, it was the early days of World War II. And he put his, his kids and his wife on that ship, and he sent them off. Later, he received a telegram saying, your family is home. He thought he meant it made it to the shores of Britain. But in reality, they were home in heaven because the ship was sunk. They were home in heaven. That gave him great encouragement through his grief, knowing that they were in a better place. But what about those on that ship that weren't knowing the Lord? Their bodies are somewhere down, became fish food. Someday God's going to bring it together and bring it back up, and he's going to judge the dead again. He'll do that in the grave. He'll do that every place that people have died, and they're going to stand before God, and the very final thing they'll ever see is the glory of God in which they could have had if they'd have believed. Instead, they rejected, and they are going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's a thought that just ought to bother us. Bother us enough to tell people, don't go that way. You don't need to go that way. There's been one who took the wrath of God upon himself, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. He died there for us in our place, and he took the very punishment for our sin. But you know, it's a gift, right? He says, I gift you salvation. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You have to receive a gift, or it's of no value to you, and it's of no use to you. I think of that. Imagine going out in the really frigid winter air without any warm clothes. You wouldn't last long if you had to be out there any length of time. And yet, perhaps sitting at home wrapped in a Christmas gift somewhere, there's a nice coat or, or a set of mittens and a hat and everything else. And you said, no, I don't want to take that with me. I'm going to leave it right there. Yeah, that's what, how people come to salvation. They, they come to the same idea. Well, yeah, God's offered this wonderful gift, far greater value in that it's eternal life wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And they say, no, I'll just take my chances and I'll go out into there and I'll tell you something. And it's a sad reality. Someday they will face hell full on. Eternally. By the way, it's called the second death. Just like physical death separates us from people we love, so the second death separates us from God who loves us. And you know what? It's forever. Rahab was defiled. Rahab was dead. Rahab, the sinner, was doomed. But I want to look at the next part of Rahab, her confession. 
Rahab's confession. And I love this because this is one of the great chapters of the Bible, chapter 2 of Joshua. And it's a chapter, as I mentioned, it's really a picture inside the life and the heart of a woman and just a few people that know about things. But God was at work. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. And so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they laid down... She came up to the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom they utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all they have, and deliver our lives from death. You read here of the confession, the historical record of Rahab, when she said to these spies whom she hid, and she said, I want to be saved. I want grace, is what she says. And she says not only for her, but for her family as well. That's what kindness means as it's translated here. We need kindness on your behalf. And it was really kindness to spare their lives. We know, as I said earlier, of what was going on in the heart of Rahab. Because in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we have, and also in the book of James, we have a commentary on Rahab by the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish, with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So she had an aspect of faith when the spies showed up at her house and she received them in. She knew what she was doing was identifying with them and not with the people of her city. And she was identifying with their God and not the gods of the Amorites. And she by faith received them. And I like that because... The book of Joshua doesn't say how she received them in her heart. Sometimes we receive people and we don't really want to see them. Come on, let's be real, right? Sometimes that happens. A pastor shows up and somebody runs away from the door, right? You know, uh, 
that, that was it. <laughs> that was the old joke, is that the pastor showed up one day, knocked on the door, and uh, he heard some movement inside and um, couldn't, you know, no one ever came to the door, so he, he left a little uh, card there and it said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then as he passed that through the letterhead, or, or through the, uh, the letter box there, another one came out and says, uh, I was naked and I hid myself. And so... <laughs> Oh, but you know, we sometimes hide because we don't want to receive somebody for whatever reasons, right? And I just say this, that um, when you receive God's people and their message and their God, you're identifying with that God. And that's what Rahab did. That's what we know about her. In, ver- in James chapter 2, verse 25, again, it says here, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when re- she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So James comments here on the whole process of by where she was delivering these men. And it says justified by works. Now, that's always one of those things that if you only had the book of James, you would think, oh, you know, if I work something, if I do something of good works, then God's going to save me. Well, coupled with that, and the book of James talks about it, is that faith without works is dead. In other words, faith that is real always produces works. And James comments here, again by the Holy Spirit, saying she was justified by those actions which declared what had gone on in her heart. By the way, you are justified, that means declared righteous, that means your sin and the penalty of it removed, when you identify with Christ by faith. Now the by faith part takes place in here. But the outward working of that faith should show up on the outside. It's a faith that works. And James talks about that. He does that. What did she confess? That was the question. Because in the book of Joshua, we see some things that Rahab says. And I love it. Chapter 2, verse 9. says, and said to the man, I know. I like that. I know. Do you know? Do you know the Lord? Remember in the book of John, we read about know. That's a word that he uses a lot. And it means, do you know the Lord? And she says this, I know that the Lord... And she calls him by his covenant name, Yahweh. Whenever you see capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, that's the covenant name for God. That's the name that God identified himself with when Moses was at the burning of bush in Exodus chapter 3. And he's the one who is referred to throughout the book of Genesis as the Lord. When Abraham was called by God, the Lord. And we see that earlier on. The covenant name for God. She's identifying with the covenant God. I like that. And she's testifying with her lips. I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror or the fear of you has fallen on all of us. She knew the fear of God. And by the way, the fear of God is, is just that, that, you know, uh, that we ought to be fearful to understand that we stand in the very balance, one heartbeat away from eternity at any given time. And that fear will do two things. One of two things. It will drive you to the Lord for salvation or it will cause you to reject Him and you'll be even more fearful. The fear of the Lord. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. They were, they were given up. For we have heard. 
Isn't it great? The word of the Lord and the testimony of what God had done had come to their ears. Some would come to the book of Joshua and in the accounts that follow in the chapters to come, you read of the great destruction of Jericho. By the way, Jericho was utterly destroyed. The exception of one family, Rahab's family. And young and old and livestock, everything, hey, destroyed. You say, God is a harsh God. Why would God do that? I mean, why would he allow judgment to come and little ones would die? And the reality is, again, God had extended grace to them over and over and over and over again for generations. I mean, think of 400 years. And then another two generations of 40 years, you know, when you look at that. I mean, that's what probably if you know average lifespans, I don't know what it was back then exactly, but let's say that would be maybe 15 generations of people that's a lot and God said over and over again repent 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 and they chose not to she heard I'm glad she heard how many people out there have heard the message of salvation and have not acted on it there's a lot by the way there's some that never hear and the judgment of God is still upon them they're still condemned because of their sin not because God condemns them but because our sin condemns us god's done everything he can he gave his only son god the son to die in our place that's the high cost of god answering sin how how he loves us then he goes on to say this or it says this and as soon as we heard these things our hearts melted there was conviction Neither did there remain any more courage in any of you because of you. For the Lord your God, look at this. He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Wow. You wonder how many people believe that today. Do you believe? The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He's the God of all things. That's the creator God. How many people today reject the notion of even a creator think about that (laughs) how crazy that is i I don't understand it i really don't there was a time where i believed in uh god you know a process of evolution this happening and and uh, when i was before i was a believer and some things but i one thing i could never really be honest about in my own heart was that there was no creator because it didn't make sense how nothing could come out or something could come out of nothing just doesn't make sense and, they, and there's been proposals out there, you know. Uh, Einstein proposed that we're in an expanding universe that eventually expands all the way out to where it, it reaches and then it all collapses back in on itself and it starts again. And it's forever doing that, in and out, over probably billions and billions and billions of years. But that's crazy. There's a creator. You can't tell me, and I've said this before too, if I took a box of uh, 100 pieces of a puzzle... You know, we've all gotten those boxes. A hundred pieces isn't too hard to put together, all right? And you take a puzzle like that, and you put, take that box, and you put the lid on it, and you shake it a little bit, and you throw it out on the floor. And you do that. How many times would that take before that puzzle came together? Can I tell you something? It won't. It will never come together. The random variableness of that is, makes it impossible. And it would self-destruct by the time I finally had anything come together. It would just be a bunch of paper fragments that would be 
thrown out on the floor every time. And yet, man in his wisdom comes along and says, somehow, these cells in our body, which even just one cell has so many billions of little combinations that make it life, and they say, that just came together without a creator. Oh, my friends, Rahab got it right. Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. He's a creator. Oh, I'm glad. What did she claim? Well, look at this. Now, therefore, I beg you. She begs them. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness or grace, that you also show me grace to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She was concerned for herself, but she was concerned for her family. And you know, she begs and pleads for mercy. And it's interesting because she doesn't, she doesn't beg and plead for things that maybe we would, you know. Let me escape and go live my life somewhere else. No, she says, spare us. She was going to stay right there. That's pretty bold. Spare us. Her confession speaks volumes. I could say a lot about that, but I'll move on. We see the conversion of Rahab. And this is where I, I think it's, it's just, this is the historic record of a woman who comes to faith in the Lord God of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. And she understands who he is. Verse 14, so the man answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you will tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. They entreat her in this oath. And they say, we'll do as you ask. I, I, I would say this, that every single living person in, in their households and all that in Jericho had that same opportunity but only one household took advantage of it. And it started with one woman of faith. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward you may go your way. And so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear Unless, when we come into the land, you bind this scarlet line or scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's households to your own home. And so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And so she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. And so the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And again, we're reminded that Rahab 
I believe she was truly converted, not only because we have the testimony of it in the New Testament, but because of her actions. We see that she did exactly as the men said, take this scarlet rope, this cord, and bind it as she bound it to a secure spot. And there they went down and were delivered on that. And that was a picture, I believe, of the very scarlet thread that is woven through history of the Lamb of God himself who takes away the sin of the world. His blood that would be shed at the cross of Calvary. Rahab looked ahead by faith. And God was going to bless her abundantly and beyond anything she could ever have dreamed. I think of that because you read further on and you read of some things that happen in Rahab's life. She just wanted to be spared. Just spare my life. But she got so much more. In chapter 6 of, whoops, I'm on the head near chapter 6 of Joshua, in the account of the destruction of Jericho, look what it says in verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, even her possessions. So she dwells in Israel to this day. Where is she dwelling? Israel. How did Rahab, a Gentile, end up in Israel? She ended up there by grace. How did a harlot, a prostitute, end up in the house of God by grace? How did I end up in the family of God? It's by grace. And if you're a Christian today, you ended up in that same household by grace. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that picture for us she got so much more we see later on in the book of ruth rahab is mentioned again in ruth chapter 4 remember you have the the story of ruth who marries boaz and ruth who was uh, also a gentile and she was condemned in a city or in a people that were condemned and they were not to be even brought into the house of israel Ruth ends up in Israel as a member of that and identifying with the God of Israel. And here's the genealogical record of her husband. Abinadab begot Naashan, and Naashan begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Here Boaz marries Ruth, and they have Obed. All right, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Big name, David. Those other names you probably don't remember that often. But David, King David, was he was a covenant king. as God made a covenant with him and told him that someday there would be someone on his throne that would, and his throne would be an everlasting throne. It would never, it never end. That was Jesus. In the book of Matthew, the very first chapter of the New Testament opens up with a genealogical record. And there, it's not only the men that are mentioned. Look what it says in five, verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz by who? Rahab. Rahab was not only in Israel, but she married into Israel. She married a man named Salmon. Look what it says. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And you go right down through until you come to the house of David in the city of Bethlehem, David's city, and Jesus Christ is born. Amen.
God's grace. Well, we see Rahab, and we see Rahab in her condition. We see Rahab in her confession. And then again, we see Rahab in her conversion. Wonderful grace of Jesus in all of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we are reminded that, Lord, we might be condemned in our sin, but salvation is easy on our part. We need only trust the one who took every difficult thing, every sin, every punishment, and laid it upon himself, and he was able to bear it. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today many would come to saving faith. And Lord, if there's anybody here, even today would be the day where they would say, Lord, I turn from my sin, I repent, and I believe on the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God of heaven and earth. Oh, Lord, we're thankful for that, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.